0: Let me ask you a question. Where were you in March of 2020? I was in Phoenix, Arizona, following my favorite baseball team during their spring training. After attending maybe one or two games, my son-in-law walked up to me and said, Hey, you heard that spring training's canceled, right? I thought he was pulling my leg. Turns out he wasn't. That night, he asked me, have you heard of Dr. Mike Osterholm? He's an expert on infectious diseases from the University of Minnesota. He's on the Joe Rogan podcast. Unfortunately, I didn't know Dr. Mike at that point. So all of us listened intently to Dr. Osterholm on Joe Rogan's podcast that night, and I have to admit, I became a big fan. Since then, I've listened to every single one of Dr. Osterholm's podcasts, the Osterholm Update. 133 episodes to be exact. Mike and his team have kept me and my family safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. I trust him. He's a veteran public health epidemiologist and he really, really knows this stuff. Plus, plus, Mike and his team run the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. That's abbreviated CIDRAP, C-I-D-R-A-P, at U of M. CIDRAP's a global leader in addressing public health preparedness and the responses for emerging infectious diseases that we see coming out of our federal government. They have a great website. You should check it out. You can find them at sidrap.umn.edu. Once again, that's sidrap, C-I-D-R-A-P, at umn.edu. Protect yourself and your family. Listen, read, learn from Dr. O and his team like I have. Welcome to Grassroots Health. My name is Tim Jordan and I'm the host of this podcast. I welcome you, thanks for listening. If you care about health, yours or other people's, then this podcast is for you. It's distributed monthly on the first Monday of each month. Best of all, it's free. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Grassroots Health is sponsored by the 1795 Group. Check us out at 1795group.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of Grassroots Health. My name is Tim Jordan, and I'm your host. Happy August 2023, everyone. You know, in the Northern Hemisphere, August has always been called the dog days of summer. Have you ever heard that? I always thought that phrase meant that it was hot out and that dogs typically lay around panting in the heat. It turns out, it doesn't mean that. Yeah, I know the weather's been hot, but the original phrase had nothing to do with dogs panting. Who knew? Instead, the dog days refer to serious. no not FM radio, but Sirius, the brightest star in the constellation of Canis Major, which means big dog in Latin, and is said to represent one of Orion's hunting dogs. So let's blame the ancient Greeks and Romans for the dog days phrase, okay? They thought that the dog days occurred around the time that Sirius appears alongside the sun in late July in the Northern Hemisphere. Still does. They believe that the heat from these two stars combined to make August the hottest days of the year. Hmm. Maybe they knew something that that we didn't. Let me tell you about several things that the 1795 group has planned for September 2023. We have a major fall kickoff plan. Three things will happen in September besides the start of football. Yeah, I know. Football's important, but so are these three things. Number one, we'll send our first email newsletter to folks. Number two, we will have a special September episode of this podcast on grant writing. And number three, we'll follow up that podcast with a virtual workshop that will teach you or teach people, whoever attends, how not to make those same mistakes. Let's talk about each real quick. first. Our very first email newsletter will be sent out right after Labor Day. You want to make sure that you're receiving this newsletter just for the knowledge of future events alone, not even counting the research updates, the best practices, interesting articles that we'll include. And it's completely free. That's best of all. But you have to sign up for it. If you go to our website and sign up, it takes about five seconds. You're all set. All we need is your first name and email address. And if you sign up, you'll notice that I'm willing to give you a resource guide of your choice on our products page, a $5 value. That's a great return for five seconds of your time, $5 times five seconds times a minute. I don't know what that is, but how much per hour, but that's a good investment. For your benefit, you can take advantage of this offer on our website, which is 1795group.com. Second, by Labor Day, which I think is Monday, September 4th, Patrick Johnston, Vice President of Community Investments from the Greater Toledo Community Foundation, will be my special guest on this podcast in September. Our topic will be common errors that people make when writing nonprofit grant proposals. So, if you care about getting money for your organization or you care about your grant writing skills, then be sure to listen to this podcast. That's the first Monday in September. And remember, you can always listen to the new episode of this podcast by the first Monday of each month. Third, we obviously don't want you to make the same mistakes that many people make, right? So we're going to follow that podcast with a virtual workshop that will teach you how to avoid making those same mistakes in your grant writing. This virtual workshop will occur on the last... Sunday evening of September, which I think is the 24th. And it'll start at 6 and it'll only go to 7.30. You can listen and learn and watch, participate from the comfort and convenience of your home. Registration is only nine bucks. And $5 of that $9 goes to charity. I think the charity I vetted and chose for this one was the World Central Kitchen. They do really good work. It's a charity that I've given my to myself in recent past, and so you can be assured I personally vetted this charity. The rest of the money, which I think is $4, will be used to cover the expenses of putting on this workshop, such as emailing you a nice certificate of completion after you complete it. So register today. All the registration is done on our website. It's first come, first serve. Remember, Go to our website to register for all events. That's 1795group.com forward slash events, events, E-V-E-N-T-S forward slash. Okay, let's talk about our special guest today. She's waiting inside the studio for me and I've been waving to her through the little window. Hey, how you doing? She's waving back and smiling. On this episode... My special guest, Dr. Lisa pescara Kovach and I are going to explore this topic, the myth that mass shootings are caused by mental illness. You know, I hear this a lot from politicians and pundits after each mass shooting. For instance, is it true what Donald Trump said on TV after the attack at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, and outside a bar in Dayton, Ohio? I think between those two shootings, I think 31 people total were shot and killed. And Trump said that mental illness, I don't know how to do a Donald Trump imitation, but he said this, mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. A week later, he said, a sick mind pulls the trigger. Well, does it? Does the gun have anything to do with it? We'll find out. Dr. Kovach is a professor of educational psychology at U Toledo in Toledo, Ohio. And she's very qualified to discuss our topic today. She's the director of the Center for Education in Mass Violence and Suicide and the chair of the Mass Violence Collaborative. She has a BA, Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, a Master of Arts in Experimental Psychology. And a PhD in experimental psychology with a minor in child clinical psychology. In addition to her work at UT, she serves on the advisory board of the National Association of Behavioral Intervention and Threat Assessment. She's a well-known expert across the country in suicide, homicide related to bullying, victimization, behavior threat assessment, and prevention through postvention in schools, campus, and workplace shootings. Dr. Kovach has recently co-authored a book that came out in 2023 with Dr. Brian Van Brunt and Jeffrey Solomon. And that book is entitled White Supremacist Violence, Understanding the Resurgence and Stopping the Spread. It's available on Amazon and most book retailers. Her most recent publications address the media contagion and connection to suicides and targeted shootings, as well as the mental health and mass shooting myth that we're going to talk about today. You see, I believe that most Americans really don't care much about mass shootings until gun violence becomes personal. It's almost like, uh, more dead and wounded, who cares? Right? Right? It will never touch my family. Mass shootings are due to mental illness anyway. My kids and grandkids, they don't know anyone with mental illness. But my thoughts and prayers are with the survivors, though. Thoughts and prayers. And then they put that little prayer emoji on all their social media pages. Hmm. Let me ask you. Do thoughts and prayers really help the survivors of dead children who were murdered? Listen to the last episode with Rhonda Hart and you tell me that it does. Do they help survivors of grandchildren who were shot and killed? Brothers? Sisters? Parents? Good friends? I think saying thoughts and prayers and putting the little prayer emoji on social media is a cheap way out. We should avoid it. Take action. Do something. Advocate for change. Change. Let me put this in perspective for you. Since July 1st, 2023, that's this year, since July 1st, 2023, there have been 20 to zero, 20 mass shootings in this country. A mass shooting is defined of at least four people wounded or dead. And this year, 2023, is on pace to become the deadliest year for mass shootings in recent history politicians and pundits are fond of blaming mental illness does mental illness cause mass shootings listen to this podcast and find out here she is dr lisa Kovach. i hope that you learn from the podcast Well, hello, everyone. This is Tim Jordan, I'm your host. This is episode 12 of Grassroots Health. I'm here today with Lisa Kovach, PhD, Dr. Lisa Kovach. She's a professor of educational psychology at the University of Toledo. And we're talking about a very interesting topic. The topic is one that you hear a lot, and that is that mental illness causes mass shootings. Does it really? If you're listening today, you're probably listening, well, you are listening in August because the this podcast came out on Monday, August 7th. So you're in August, you're in the dog days of summer. We hope the dog days are not too drought-like and too dry and too hot for you. Lisa, how are you? I've been waving to you through the glass window of the studio.
1: <laughs> I'm doing well, how are you?
0: I'm doing well too, thanks for asking. Uh, Like all Mm -hmm. past guests who are professors, I'm going to give you a couple minutes of free advertising for the University of Toledo and for educational psychology. So why would a student who's thinking about going to college, maybe they're a high school senior, why would they think about the academic major of educational psychology and why would they think about UT?
1: Well, UT is a a gorgeous campus, first and foremost. It's right by um, Toledo, and I think Toledo is pretty undervalued. Um, we do have a lot of restaurants. We have, um, you know, clubs or whatever they call them, students call them today. But a lot of things to do out there in Toledo. Gorgeous art museum, beautiful zoo. So, you know, Toledo as a whole is is a, is a great city. And I think that once students set foot on campus and kind of look around that area, they realize that pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, you just need to see it, trust me. Um, and then, you know, with Ed Psych, I can say a lot of good things about it. It's like I could go on forever, but, um, you know, kids don't learn in a vacuum. And when we are talking about educational psychology, there's just a slew of factors that play a role in their learning, in their safety, and everything sort of uh, that is connected with schooling. So my personal angle, or I guess you could say, my research agenda with um, educational psychology is the prevention through postvention of mass shootings, uh, domestic terrorism, and suicide. So if you are a student who is interested in those areas, um, you know, you can reach out to any professor, actually, you know, in the Ed psych program about my area or artificial intelligence is another area a colleague of mine is doing. Um, so just just a, a lot of people doing great work and uh, a lot of people who are welcoming for graduate students and and um, even undergrads.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that plug for UT and, uh, and, for, and for Ed Psych very much. Let's get right to the yeah. topic, shall we? Mm-hmm. And in this podcast, we're talking about mental illness causing mass shootings. I hear this a lot from politicians, from mass media, from social media, but you're the expert, Dr. Kovach. What do you say?
1: I say they're wrong. I say that we are doing an injustice to the safety of our country when we when we reduce mass shootings to mental illness and um, there are a lot of factors that play a role we see a lot of risk factors um, and we see protective factors and if we don't allow everyone common knowledge of these risk factors we're going to continue to be in these dangerous situations you cannot with 100 percent certainty or, or even a small degree of certainty say that mental illness causes mass shootings. Um, If there is a mental health issue being experienced by one of these individuals, it tends to be depression with suicidality. If you notice, a lot of them leave suicide notes because they are either going to um, take their own lives at the end of the incident, or they know they're going to die at the hands of law enforcement. So these are people who don't want to live. These are not people who are typically schizophrenic or struggling with any of the severe mental illness, um, but again, it would be depression and oftentimes substance use disorder.
0: So let me ask you this, Dr. Kovach. Um, let's, let's talk about mass media and social media. So what, what role have these two entities played in promoting this myth
1: Yeah, I I think that we haven't come very far in our understanding publicly of mental illness or in our acceptance of mental health issues. You know, when the media says this is the cause or this is a major contributing factor, um, they're really creating problems in the mental health of of everybody. So if I'm somebody who's struggling, say, with um, depression, and I hear that, Our nation thinks that someone like me or someone, you know, who is schizophrenic is going to go out and shoot everyone. I'm not going to open up about my depression. I may not even seek help for my depression. Um, I certainly wouldn't seek help for anything even worse, like bipolar disorder or anything along those lines. Um, So they're just creating a, a snowball effect. We already have a problem in our nation where people do not, and this is not just us. There are a lot of other countries and cultures, but where people are um, just just afraid, just afraid of uh, the unknown or the unfamiliar. So if they hear that someone has a mental health issue and they're not sure, that's one thing. But now they, they hear someone has a mental health issue and they're afraid and it's just not, not even a fact. It's not even true that this is the case.
0: Yeah, I've often thought if I had a mental health diagnosis, I would be highly offended because they've stigmatized me, they've ostracized me. Um, I remember after the 2014 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School that all the reports focused on the shooters, like he had Asperger's syndrome, and I thought, well, so what? So does everybody, I mean... I mean, more than 70% of the population probably is on the spectrum, including me, probably. And I said, the issue is not really, at the time, not his mental health, but it was other factors like his home life, and he was from a divorced home. I think his mom even bought him guns, and they sent emails to one another in this different rooms. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and, you know, first and foremost, I want to say that people should leave the diagnosing to the experts, right? We follow, you know, experts follow the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Um, You know, that tells us what the diagnostic criteria are for every disorder. And here we have a lay person speaking on television. Well, it looked to me like uh, he had this without even having that information, without even having sat down with this person to do a formal assessment to determine if that was even the case. Even if it was the case, as you mentioned, um, this is somebody who was fascinated with weapons, whose mother handed over the weapons, any weapon this, that he wanted, um, you know, and he was fascinated with past mass shootings. And we see this red flag a lot. Anyone who is fascinated with, with past mass shooting and, and severe acts of violence, there's somebody that should be on our radar. And we should look to see if they possess some of these other risk factors as well, um, This is an individual who would play dance, dance, revolution all day long um, by himself. Uh, So, you know, being a loner, being isolated, that's another factor. Um, And he had a mom who sort of enabled all of this behavior. And there was this divorce in the family, which was pretty contentious to my understanding um, before, you know, the days leading up to it.
0: And as I recall, I think the mom... Bought him guns and went shooting with him, and I think she may have been the first one killed. Is that right?
1: She was. He shot her first in the home before he traveled to Sandy Hook.
0: Yeah, it's just amazing to me that the type of parenting that you know—I think she was trying to be his friend to buy him she guns and really go shooting with him. Um, I, I don't recommend that. So let's let's talk about Texas for a minute. On um, uh, last month's show, I had Rhonda Hart. She lost her 14-year-old daughter, Kimberly Vaughn, during a mass shooting at Santa Fe High School in Texas. And Governor Greg Abbott is their governor. He says a lot that mental health is the problem. Do you think that politicians like Greg Abbott are using mental health as a shield or smokescreen to avoid more meaningful change?
1: Yes. There's no other reason one would um, come up with that as as a a definitive explanation for this. Um, And and it's just just a smoke screen. Um, They don't want us to touch their AR-15 assault rifles. And I might add that these are the weapon of choice by the majority of mass shooters because they are very powerful, very fast, and it's very hard to survive uh, being shot by an AR-15. There's a reason mass shooters choose this particular weapon. And to think that to preserve and protect a a killing machine, um, one is making up these false narratives, knowing children are dying, uh, adults, uh, people of all ages, but knowing this is happening. In fact, I saw recently a tattoo on um, the back of one of the Uvalde parents. Um, it's the bullet hole. and he 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 had seen his child's body after this child was killed and and had a tattoo artist put that same injury in tattoo form on his back so people could see what it looks like on his back and can imagine what it might look mm-hmm. like on a small child. Yeah. I mean, they, wow. they, people have had it. you know, people are fed up with this this rhetoric.
0: yeah. Yeah, I told Rhonda Hart during the podcast that if Governor Abbott, Governor Abbott from Texas, is really concerned about the mental health of Texans, he has a really strange way of showing it, in my opinion. Because if you look at the stats, like from Mental Health America, they place Texas near the bottom of multiple of metrics for mental health care. Texas places last of all fifty states in access to mental health care, and yet. Uh-huh. Yet it ranks third in terms of prevalence of mental illness. So, do you care to comment?
1: <sighs> the hypocrisy. <laughs> you know, where do I even start with that one? Um, because they know, they they know it's not mental illness. Um, that's just it fits their narrative quite well. Um, they they, in Texas, and they know that that gun manufacturers make it really lucrative for young people to buy guns there are you know um, rebates and things that make it really easy to access these weapons money you know a lot of this is about money and it really to them life has no value whatsoever if this is the angle they're taking because if they truly felt that this was the case and they knew how many people were dying including the shooting at the premium outlets in Allen Texas that just happened they would do more They would do more. And again, even with that particular shooting, they kept pushing the mental illness angle. And this is an individual, the moment I saw the the footage of his body after he was shot um, by law enforcement, the moment I saw it, I looked at his hand and saw immediately he had a white supremacist tattoo on his hand. People were mentioning yep. that slightly and saying, well, we're not sure about that, but we do know he had mental health struggles. Okay, okay, what came first, right? He did It was far less the mental health and far more his, his allegiance to white supremacy.
0: Mm-hmm. If it's you're just tuning in, convenient. I'm with Dr, yeah, I'm with Dr. Lisa Kovach, Professor of Educational Psychology at the University of Toledo where she also serves as the Director of the Center for Education in Mass Violence and Suicide, and she's Chair of the Mass Violence Collaborative. In addition to her work at the at UT, she's working with the International Association of Care and Threat Teams. She's co-authored a recent book with Dr. Brian Van Brunt, and I think his wife may be involved, Jeffrey Solomon, yes. entitled White Supremacist Violence, Understanding the Resurgence and Stopping the Spread. The book is available on Amazon in paperback format for around $30. It's also available at Rutledge Publishers, Books a Million, almost every book retailer in the United States. So Lisa, what do you think of the of mass media's goal of keeping us engaged? I a couple months ago, I think I had Yotam Ophir, and he's a professor of communication from the University of Buffalo. And he said... Media's goal is not to convert us to be conservative or not to convert us to be a liberal or progressive. They really just want us to stay watching. And what works most is conspiracy theories. And so for our listeners, tell tell our listeners what headline grabbing means and clickbait are. Mm-hmm.
1: Headline grabbing is... Um... I mean, we've seen it all the time. And now, um, so in written form, headline grabbing, I'm thinking of um, after mass shooting, there have been headlines like crazed maniac shoots 20 at the mall or something along those lines or uh, lunatic evil person, just these strong descriptors that are typically false that will get us to, to be drawn into that article. They do it verbally too, right? Stay tuned as we talk about the crazed shooter from blah, blah, blah who was struggling with mental illness. You know, just certain terms and, and, and phrases that will just lure you in and you want to know more, right? Kind of throwing out a little bit of a carrot so that we, we are drawn to it. And um, oftentimes with headline grabbing, people don't even read the story. They read the headline and they get the false info from the headline because I'm sure you you have had this experience where you read the headline, and you start reading. It might be about a research study. You start reading the content, and it doesn't match the headline. It's like no, that's not what they said they found um, at all. So it just it is something that grab our attention. Um, clickbait's the same it, way. It happened.
0: It yes. happened to me. It happened to me yesterday. Yeah. I was, you know, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, a football fan, and yeah. there was an article that, that yeah. said something, Yeah, you know, it said something about, you know, the headline said something about, it was on the internet, so it was clickbait. It said something about, the, you know, the Browns uh, off season and who they sign, and so I'm reading this article, and it doesn't have anything to do with the headline, um, no. it, but it got me in, it sucked me in, right? Absolutely, of course,
1: of course it did, yep. They're very,
0: so, so very in June, Yeah, it is is very, very persuasive, headline grabbing and clickbait. Yep. Uh, and mm-hmm. it does keep us engaged. And we I said on that June 2023 episode that, you know, a- advertising really is the goal of all media. They want to sell advertising. They want us to watch yep. advertising. Um, mm-hmm. So just be aware of that. In June 2023, I had Dr. Yotam Ofer on, he said something very profound about guns. He said, everyone who hears a conspiracy theory, like the Great Replacement Theory, or hears there's a secret cabal of Satanists or pedophiles led by the Jews or the opposed, Donald Trump. No, they don't, not everyone grabs a gun and shoots up people. It doesn't yeah. work like that. So let me ask you, yeah. Dr. Kovach, how does it work? I mean, who's, who's most susceptible to believing these conspiracy theories and acting on them to hurt other people?
1: Mm-hmm. So if you are someone who's um, had some life struggles, perhaps, um, you know, you may have a fractured relationship with your family. You may not have any close relationships at school. Um, you may not have succeeded in some of the... The jobs you tried to get, or the um, awards you tried to get at school, uh, or or to play on a sports team. So things haven't gone your way, right? And um, so you start building up these these injustices. We call these people injustice collectors sometimes, because here they're they're gathering everything, and then throw something in there like um, you know they they see something on the news, something false like that, and they start like yeah, huh. Maybe that is true. Maybe it is because I have so many people. There are so many people who want a job like mine who come from other countries, right? And then someone, they, you know, they're 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 hearing another news story of yeah, these people are taking our jobs. Um, we need to act quickly because they're going to take over our nation, and. You know, if you have a tendency to externalize and don't want to take ownership for your role in things that don't go your way, you're going to want to put it on someone else. And so that's what we see. And so then they start really, you know, pinpointing their reading and, and, and going into certain chat rooms that are all speaking sort of that same language uh, of 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 hate and and. You know, there's a group, Adam Waffen Division, um, and it was created in around 2015 by somebody in in Tampa, Florida. And um, you know, they, their whole premise is that they need to destroy everything in our capitalist nation. They're claiming our capitalist nation is run by Jewish people, and they actually call mm-hmm. um, other races diseases and other sexual orientations diseases. And we and they mm-hmm. feel they need to you know, to kind of have a civil war, clean us out and then start fresh with just white people. Uh, I mean, and uh, again, they, they capitalized on those, some of the people that are disgruntled and they know what to look for. So if I see a nice, if I see a young person or I'm on Xbox Live, say which kids play all the time, if I'm on Xbox Live and I'm a troll, right, from one of these groups, I'm going to troll around different games that are being played across the U.S. And I might listen for these themes, you know, like, oh, let's pretend he's a this or she's a that. And then, oh, well, what's going on? And then they start opening this conversation. And soon they have them talking privately through private chats. And then they lure them into these groups. So it's just it's it's Mm. it's, it's complex. But at the same time, it's. Not complex, given the the political climate right now.
0: Um, I know this came up in May and June. Remember the PizzaGate conspiracy that there was a secret cabal of Satanists and pedophiles led by Hillary Clinton and John Podesta, and they had these kids chained up in the basement of a pizza parlor in Washington yeah. D.C. So this guy took an AR-15 went to the restaurant to shoot people and to free all these kids and there was no basement. Of course not. <laughs> so, we thought you know, we thought that not. maybe that would be the end of, you know, maybe these conspiracy theories, but I think it just got started, honestly. So
1: It really has. And and uh philosophies, you know, their philosophies. The Great Replacement philosophy came you know, it was written by um, Camus, who who was in France at the time, talking about outsiders and other individuals. And also, um, James Mason wrote a book uh, called *Siege*, who felt, who claimed, we're under siege by these other groups. Our nation is is being threatened by uh, people who aren't pure and white. And again, they're just, you know, they're may come from a racist home. And so all of this just starts building and they, they find these like-minded individuals. Um, it's frightening. waffen Division right now is a, a host of terror cells that started in Florida and now they're throughout the world. They're very clever because they have told media somehow, this is another thing with media, they have stated that they are, they disbanded. Don't worry about us, we don't exist, we're nonviolent, we don't do any of this stuff. That's that's false. The media bought it. They but they believe, some media sites believe that this group doesn't exist anymore. Meanwhile, they're gaining momentum all over the world. So that's kind of a tricky thing with media, but they have this this mindset and this philosophy. And they don't do large-scale incidents, right? They they promote lone wolf attacks on Railway systems, electronic grids, right, travel, all sorts of things like that.
0: Yeah, there have been in the United States, I think, two or three episodes of one, maybe two people shooting up electrical um, conduits, like electrical stations yeah. that have put uh, our mental, our, our, not our mental health system, but our electrical health electrical system in jeopardy for large cities. And I don't know if they're part of this group, but it reminds me of these lone wolf type issues. I think then ones and twos, they just went out and took an AR 15 and shot up these electrical houses. So let me ask yeah, you the- this. What's your opinion of what's your opinion of red flag laws, Lisa? <sighs> they're there.
1: I, I don't, I don't understand the purpose, I guess. Um, To an extent, I suppose, if someone was a violent criminal with mental illness, maybe. Um, But I I don't know what that's going to buy us because, because even if you're struggling with a mental health issue, how many people are actually seeking help? So you have to somehow have been in the system before you can be red flagged. And what we find is so many of these people aren't in the system for anything. You know, they may, they may, you know, they'll interview former teachers or coworkers. Oh, he was disgruntled and he raised his voice and he did this and this. But were, were they arrested in the past? Were they, you know, seen by a mental health professional? Not always, no. Um, we just need to get rid of high-powered weapons. And I understand, I understand. I know the Constitution. I get that. I get that, but when that was written, it was not written when we had AR-15 assault rifles blowing holes through small children. It was written before that. And it was written so we could protect ourselves against this anarchist government. Where is that government? And I hate to break it to people, but that government has far more high-powered weapons than we could ever imagine. You can't even take on the government with an AR-15 if that's your argument. Um, it, they have no place. No place in in our, our possession. No place. The military will tell you that. Um, it's not enough to say, oh, well, here it is, because it fits their narrative. Red flag laws fits the narrative. But it's not going to solve anything. Sure, there should be a waiting period. Maybe there should be a psychological evaluation. I do agree that you shouldn't let one person buy multiple weapons within a short time period. You should limit the amount of ammunition a person can buy. You know, they, they when you try to get, um, what is it? The the decongestant um, that, that far, you know, the government has learned people make crystal meth out of. We have to sign mm-hmm. for decongestants now, right? And they make sure throughout the state we haven't purchased too much of it. What We need to do just that. We're not, you know, there are other safety checks that need to be in place.
0: Yeah, on one of my blogs I wrote, I think there are listed 10 common sense gun laws, gun protection uh, policies that I support. One yeah. of them is a waiting period. Why not have a seven yeah. to 10 day waiting period where you can really check this person out. Um, yep. I don't know about red flag laws. I do have a couple of legislators, one from Ohio, one from, um, I think, North Carolina coming on in a, in a month or so to talk about mm-hmm. their legislation. They both re- propose red flag laws. For our listeners, if you don't know what a red flag law mm-hmm. is, it's those in a mental health crisis should be have their guns taken away or not have access to guns. And so I think it raises a lot of questions. Who who diagnoses the person? Who who says that they're having a mental health crisis? And then to go in the home and take out guns, uh, you're depriving other people maybe of hunting rifles. I, I don't know. I, I, I have some concerns about them as right. well, but we'll hear yeah, from these. I, well, yeah. Go ahead.
1: No, no, go ahead. It's okay, go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, we'll hear from these uh, legislators and who have proposed her legislation and why they proposed it. One person's from Toledo and she has a, a right? master's degree in public health. Uh, her mm-hmm. name is Michelle Grimm. She'll be on the show and she'll be able mm-hmm. to talk about her legislation and maybe, maybe she can answer some of these concerns that I have and that you have.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, in and of themselves, they're not going to accomplish much. You know, as I said, it could be part of a larger plan. But but just that alone isn't going to do much. And again, I would love to hear it. I'm not challenging her at all. I, I would honestly, it might help me understand a little bit better who's doing the diagnoses, because so often people in mental health crisis um, slip through the cracks, right? And that's how they can perpetrate yep. these things. Now, is they're just slipping through the cracks, and only after the fact did you hear? Do you hear? I didn't know. Like I didn't know. You know, I didn't, I, I knew um, that, you know, there was some, maybe some anxiety about the workplace, but I didn't know to what extent um, and how many households do yeah. people not even know the person has a weapon, you know? So I'd love, like I said, I'd love it. And I'm, you know, I, I hate, I know I came out strong, but as part of a bigger plan, it could work, but in and of itself, no, it's difficult.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that perspective. So. This podcast is called Grassroots Health for a Reason. It's because of my personal belief that things that come up from the bottom are longer lasting, more sustainable, more effective. So what are some things that we can do at the grassroots level to protect people, especially our kids, grandkids? I'm concerned about my grandchildren. I have three grandchildren that are school age. I don't want them to be afraid to go to school. I, I didn't even think about guns when I went to school. And what can we do at the grassroots level, Lisa?
1: I would make sure that within their school district, they do have a threat assessment team or a care team. Um, Threat assessment, I think, sounds a little harsh, but uh, a way to report students of concern. So if one of your grandkids has a friend who says something like, I'm going to kill the teacher, um, and maybe just said it in passing, Um, that should be reported because they may find that not only has that person said that to your grandchild, they've said it to someone else and then perhaps they have access Mm -hmm. to weapons. So we can see if it's a fleeting threat or if it rises to an actual level of threat, but we could all, you know, the other things we're looking for, you know, as I said, access to weapons, is this someone who's alienated and isolated? Are they very um, focused on a certain person because we worry about that? Um, you know, have they had a recent non-normative life event? So something that knocked them off their feet, like the death of a parent, you know, all these things. If you have a team that, that takes a report anonymously, they should be made, takes the report, collects more information on the student, we can help that student. And that's what it's about. It's not, let's lock the student up so they don't shoot anyone. It's This person is struggling, how do we help this person? So number one, a threat assessment team with anonymous reporting, so everybody's comfortable. But students should also be trained on what to report. You know, what might be something I should be concerned about, what might not be, so what to report. Um, And then also, you know, whether they use run, hide, fight, whether they use ALICE protocol, um, just understanding that the sitting duck approach to lockdown doesn't work in all circumstances. You cannot sit if you can escape. And I know I train sometimes with law enforcement and they always say, picture a mall, right? So you have a mall and you have all these anchor stores. And if the shooter's in Dillard, there's no reason in Dillard's, there's no reason the people all near Macy's need to sit and, and wait for the shooter to come down there. They need to get out. So allowing to evacuate um, is, is key. Um, and at times, depending on their age, sometimes they might have to counter the shooter and that is throw things to kind of distract the shooter but again trying not to put themselves in harm's way but if it's your only option and they're right there you may have to try something along those lines if you're if they're old enough we don't propose that in in elementary schools but knowing how to how to act when you hear, you know, shooter alert. And the other thing schools, you know, you should talk to the school about is stop using codes. A lot of school, schools will say code purple, what? You know, they should say there is a shooter in the building in this wing so that the teachers know to get the students out or whether they need to lock down. Also in general, um, out in public, whether it's at the movie theater or whether it's shopping, concerts, your head should sort of be on a swivel Right? So you should tell them to kind of just have situational awareness. So often I see students at the university texting and walking in the parking lot. You know, I've seen a couple of students Mm -hmm. almost get hit because they'll walk in front of a car. Same thing. You're not gonna know if there's a gunman nearby if you're staring at your phone. So just having awareness around you at the very basic level, so you're not robbed or whatever, but at the higher level, you know, you wanna know what's going on around you. Should someone um, with you know malicious intent, be out there near you, um, and and not fear mongering, but just just this sense of awareness. And students have said, kids have said, we want to know, right? So there's a group, you know, there are groups that oppose um, lockdown drills, active lockdown drills, active shooter drills, and they're claiming that they're traumatizing our kids. But if they're done right, say by you know, the ALICE Training Institute, or they're done, you know, or they follow government protocol. Um, You're not going to traumatize a student. You're going to give them the knowledge that they need to save their own life. Um, They're their own first responder when somebody comes in. They can't wait all the time for the police to come in. So giving them the tools on how to respond to this is so important.
0: Yeah, thank you. That is great advice. I really appreciate it. On this episode of Grassroots Health, I've been talking to Dr. Lisa Kovach. She's a professor of educational psychology at Toledo in Toledo, Ohio. And she's recently co-authored a book with Dr. Brian Van Brunt and Jeffrey Solomon entitled White Supremacist Violence, Understanding the Resurgence and Stopping the Spread. And it's available just about any book retailer, including Rutledge Publishers. Last question, Dr. Kovach. Tell me about your book, Why Should We Care About White Supremacy <laughs> Violence and How to Stop the Spread?
1: Well, um, it has been deemed by um, the United Nations very recently as our greatest threat to safety and security in our country. Um, we also see it in other nations, but we are very concerned with the rise in white supremacist views. Um, just, you know, in back in June, we saw... Uh, that there were white supremacists gathered outside of Disney World with Nazi flags. So we're seeing this resurgence in this, um, again, this belief system that others are, others, quote, are trying to take over our nation and make it a non-white nation. So when we see shootings, um, oftentimes with lone wolves, they, they call them high crime areas, meaning they're going into areas with um, a higher, uh, you know, Number of minorities or whoever it is that they are focused against. It is really, hate is growing exponentially. Um, I think there are some government officials that have a lot to do with it. Um, we are, uh, we see far more anti Semitic attacks than we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, attacks against LGBTQ individuals, attacks, um, uh, you know. Uh, immigrants, all kinds of things we're seeing. And and it's terrifying that when I look at it, I'm afraid we're going to go right back into World War II era with this. These groups are growing. These groups are rehearsing. These groups want a civil war. Um, so we have to know where this came from, what their philosophy is, and who's most susceptible. And we had talked about indoctrination earlier, and it's very similar indoctrination um, that we dis- You know, we discussed it. So who is it that's following the Great Replacement philosophy? Um, And uh, just knowing the, even the symbols and the signs that people are wearing, being familiar, those are in our book. You know, people don't know that if I'm wearing the number 18, while it might be innocuous, it might stand for Adolf Hitler with one being an A and eight being an H for Hitler. They may not know this. They may not know that certain um, Nordic symbols are now being used by white supremacist groups. Um, being aware of hand gestures and words and signals and things. Um, Again, you can get them quickly in our book. And I want to also really point out that um, Jeff and Brian wrote another book together. This book was primarily myself, Brian and Bethany. Um, And Bethany took a huge piece of it and created this indoctrination rubric, which which will be a tool that Schools can use, law enforcement can use. And again, it goes through these, these um, risk factors and, and of what who is most susceptible to being indoctrinated and who is most susceptible and a greatest concern of, of committing an act of violence against a particular group. So she really has an equation almost of sorts so that we can assess the situation and determine um, whether we should be concerned about our safety. <laughs> so it's, it's actually, it's really, really informative. Very and I think it's good, introduced, very good. I think, yeah, groups that people don't know of yet and really need to know.
0: Yeah, and I, I think most Americans probably don't. Um, yeah. Probably the first time they saw the presence of white supremacists would be maybe at the January 6th insur- insurrection at the White House or at the Capitol Building, not the White House, at the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C., and we have mm-hmm. seen now people being arrested and convicted, really? but they would say, oh, that's all fake news, that's rigged, uh, the government's against us, and they don't believe it anyway. So I would recommend you buy the book. Again, the title is White Supremacist Violence, Understanding the Resurgence and Stopping the Spread. And you can find it at any book retailer, please do. Thank you, Dr. Lisa Kovac, for being on the show this month. Next month in early September... We'll be taking a major turn in terms of topics. Uh, We'll talk about the most common mistakes that people make when writing grant applications. Patrick Johnson, who is Vice President of Community Investments with the Greater Toledo Community Foundation, will be joining us. And then the last Sunday of September, we have a virtual workshop for you on that very topic, how to avoid the common mistakes that people make, when writing grant applications. So if you're interested in getting money for your organization through a grant, writing grants, uh, be sure to listen in September and be sure to sign up and enroll for that virtual workshop. I'll talk to you all then. Thank you, Dr. Kovach. Can we have you back again?
1: Yes, of course. You're welcome. Anytime.
0: Let's, let's do that up in the future and we'll see you again Bye. next month.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for having me.